Hello, Catherine here. If you're listening to my podcast because you're a fan of wintering, the good news is that my new book, Enchantment, is available now. It's a book about how we can find a way to reconnect with a world that's sometimes hard to live in and even to find magic there. It's available in all good bookshops and please support your local indie if you can. For more information, you can go to katherine-may.com forward slash enchantment. Happy reading. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Catherine May, and this is the Wintering Sessions. Today, I've come down to see a beautiful high tide. I love it when we have these spring tides. They're just so full. They just feel kind of voluptuous. I can't swim in it today, unfortunately, because I've got a new tattoo and I've got to keep it dry for a couple of weeks, which is, believe me, extremely disappointing. It's just one of those... I mean, it's freezing cold, but really sunny with a crisp blue sky. And the sea is just the right side of rough. Everything is golden in the light on the beach. And there's more people out. It's really interesting. People have started emerging again after a long winter away. The dog is gambling like a little spring lamb. I think she likes the sun too. She gets quite depressed in the winter. She doesn't like going out in the rain and the wind. She's got very flappy ears. I think the wind plays havoc with them. Anyway, she's happy. I'm pretty happy too. It's really nice. Oh. <sighs> Sometimes you just need to breathe out a bit, you know. It's definitely how I'm feeling today. I keep pausing because I figure you want to listen to the waves as much as I do. Anyway, I could just record an hour of ambient sound for you one day, maybe. (laughs) I think you're going to really enjoy listening to today's guest, Sarah Tasker. Those of you that know her 
people know her from her beautiful Instagram page, me and Orla, and her writing on how to show up online. But the reason I wanted to talk to her is because she's actually just such a warm, intelligent, wise presence, I think. She works in an area, you know, the visual world of Instagram, that a lot of people will denigrate and will think is kind of frippery. And I think that's why she's worth listening to, because I think she's got a lot to say about how this world, and it is, it is its own world, as constructed as it is, has made space for lots of people to show themselves. And what I find really interesting about her is the way she talks about how we construct those images. I'm making it sound more intellectual than it is. I can't help it. It's the way my brain works. But (laughs) she talks about how, you know, or why we would construct those images and why it's okay to put pretty things or beautiful things online as long as we're being authentic behind them and not pretending they're anything else other than something you've created. They're a kind of art. I'm on Instagram, I'm sure loads of you are too. And I know that too, like I want to put things that I find pleasing on there without ever pretending I'm something other than exactly what I am which is mostly a rolling ball of chaos. (laughs) Anyway, we got talking about how the world should be. And I really loved the conversation. And I think you will too. Loads of you will know her already anyway, so you'll be really pleased to hear from her. Enjoy everyone. I'll be back a bit later. Sarah, thank you for talking to me today. I'm so excited to chat. Likewise, thank you for having me on. <laughs> We've spoken once before, haven't we, on your podcast? So um, I'm, you know, I'm thrilled to invite you back. Um, you have, you've taught me a lot, literally as well, because I, um, one of the things I did the year before last was sign up to your Instagram course, uh, the Insta Retreat, which helped me enormously to with my own storytelling online. So thank you for that. I'd like to say that up front. Thank you. <laughs> But I kind of want to talk today, I guess, about, I. well, maybe this is a, this is a tricky t- topic to talk about on a podcast, but I want to talk about the messiness of lives behind mm. all the stuff we put out there, because you're really good at striking that balance and about talking about how you enjoy the presentational aspects of life online and that that feeds into all of your different practices but that also you always acknowledge how complicated things are. Um, and I, I'd kind of like us to riff on that today, if that's all right by you. Yes, I love that. And I also love, <laughs> isn't it always interesting when you hear an outside perspective of your own work from someone, especially from someone you admire, like I do with you, um, <laughs> to, to kind of hear it so succinctly brought together, like it, like it all makes sense in that way. <laughs> I, you know what, I find it really weird when people talk to me about my work because it's often so different from my conception Mm. of it. And 
I also think that everyone remembers what they've read of me more than I remember writing it. So quite often I think, how do you know that? (laughs) Oh yeah, I wrote it in a book. All right then. (laughs) Have you ever had that thing um, where you read some advice or like something you've contributed to an article and you're like, oh my God, I needed to hear that. And it was your own words. Yes, totally. And in fact, actually, I'll tell you what, worse than that, I often see people putting quotes that they attribute to me on Instagram. And every now and then I think, I didn't write that. And so I look it up in my manuscript and find that I did. (laughs) (laughs) I love that though, because I always think like the the advice that we need the most is the advice that we find easier to give to other people. Like if we could only be our own coach, we would be the best coach for ourselves. So it makes Maybe sense. Maybe that's the thing. That's that's a really positive way of putting it. I think I'm just extremely forgetful. <laughs> <laughs> maybe sure. maybe we're that as well. <laughs> and given that I've like edited, you know, each book eight times or something, you know, yeah. you'd think it would have gone in by now. But no, apparently not. I totally you just underestimate your own genius. I think that's what this is. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, sometimes I'm more like I didn't write that shit. <laughs> Oh, and it's often because uh, they've quoted it in a weird way, like out of context of the paragraph or something. You know, fault. they've yeah. clipped like a sentence <laughs> that had other stuff around it that made it mean something different. And I just yeah. think, wow, you really went hunting for that, my friends, didn't you? That was like but not what how magic it must have meant something to them. Yeah, so it's true. Different, it's it true. hits different for everyone. Well, okay, so let's, <laughs> let's Sorry, move tangent. on from my extreme forgetfulness. <laughs> but I mean, I think tangents are what you and I do really well, because you've began to talk more recently about being neurodivergent, haven't you? And I'd love to yeah. talk about that a little bit, because I think the world you portray is so kind of elegant and sparse and ordered. But I think things often feel really chaotic <laughs> to you behind the scenes. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And I think that's why I'm so drawn to these moments of order and mm. beauty. Um, and I do, I find it very, very calming. So my house, I try and keep it as minimal as possible. I like white walls. I like white everything <laughs> because my head is so busy. And if my space is busy and my head is busy, it's just like going to go up in smoke. (laughs) So, um, and that kind of juxtaposition, I think is the balance, right? Like Mm. I would be really sorry if someone only took away from something like my Instagram, the idea that my life is perfect, because that's definitely not the message I'm trying to share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I find that it's a really complicated line that I think we all tread in our lives online. You know, I spend a lot of time talking on Twitter and on Instagram and I write a newsletter and I have a podcast and you know I I always try and externalize the complicated bits of my own life like that's definitely a key part of my practice but also I do want stuff to look kind of nice when it goes out there I'm not as in control of it as you are but like I, I know that I do show the tidier corners of my house when I show it and I know that I find beautiful things to put up there when I'm walking in nature and you know also like I'm thinking about the words that I put in those captions really carefully too. I think we have to acknowledge that that is completely human and also really makes really good sense like Mm. nobody goes on Instagram because they want to look at like a dirty nappy or the cat sick and old shoes in the corner like the content that resonates the content that succeeds online is attractive or appealing or enticing or beautiful So, of course, we want to share that. And of course, we want to create that. I think that's just humans have always done it, whether it's painting an oil portrait of somebody that makes them look a little bit more beautiful than they really are (laughs) in real life. 
or the landscape and making it just look idealistic or, you know, taking these photos for Instagram. It's not a dishonesty. It's kind of the edited highlights. Yeah. And it's an aesthetic too. And I think it's, it's really interesting to watch the conversations about this stuff go by because we often talk about the toxic ends of social media Mm. And the, you know, there are definitely really clear places where that presentation tips over into something that is, if not deliberately dishonest, that's certainly massaging the truth in a way that I'm uncomfortable with, yes. you know. But what we're really bad at talking about is why the hell we're on there in the first place and what we get from it. And yes. I I do think we lack that conversation. And I think we need to start having that too, because otherwise we get this picture of us all kind of drifting around this space that we absolutely hate being in and that's (laughs) destroying us. And I just don't feel like that's true. Well, if that was true, we wouldn't be doing it, right? Like, I assume so. (laughs) Maybe a few Mm. people out of some masochistic urge, but the rest of us wouldn't. So yeah, I completely agree. And it's unfortunate really that the headlines, like the clickbait, the big things that sell are negative stories about social media because everyone's had a negative experience, whether that's just within their own head or someone Mm. saying something horrible on Twitter. So people are kind of willing to believe that narrative very easily. And like you say, we don't always give enough airtime to the opposite side of it, which is all of the good stuff. And I count myself very lucky. I don't know if this is true for you, but I was an early adopter of social media. I was an early blogger. And back then there wasn't this conversation of this is bad for you. This is going to end the world. We're all going to die. (laughs) It was just like, here's some knitting I've done. And how amazing that we're all friends. Yeah, exactly. And and for, for several years from those early days, it was purely like a celebrated, joyous. We were all kind of just looking at each other online going, can you believe that we get to do this? This is so Mm. fun. And I'm really grateful I've got that foundation because I know how it feels when it feels right. And so I'm always working to stay within that space with all of my online kind of connections and work and anything else. And what boundaries do you assert? Like what boundaries do you assert for your own behaviour that stops you from tipping over into becoming one of those people? (laughs) And what boundaries do you assert for other people too? I'm always fascinated by people's like fences that they put around their social media. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I've seen people start to add to their Instagram like a highlight, a story highlight that specifically outlines their boundaries and mine definitely weren't Uh, that defined but they're always there by feel I think we all have natural kind of we know when we've touched the fire and that it's hot and we don't want to go back there Mm. Um, so I have rules about if I feel very emotional about a message or something someone said to me I will not reply while my emotion is still very high yeah. Um, and having ADHD, I also have something called rejection sensitive dysphoria. You might be familiar with it because it often goes with <laughs> autism as yeah. well. And I can, if I reply from that space, I'm not replying as me, the whole Sarah. I'm replying from a really vulnerable, frightened, emotive mm. place. And I've done it and I've regretted it. So I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. And things like if I'm still processing something that's difficult in my life, even if it's seemingly a small thing you know like something like my daughter not sleeping in her own bed or something I won't talk about that until I feel fine until I've come out the other side so sometimes Mm. that means I'll write it in the moment I might write a caption or a blog post but I won't publish it until I've 
totally processed all the emotions and know where I am with it because it's so seductive either way. Like if everyone agrees with you, you feel justified and you feel vindicated and, (laughs) you know, you can, you can completely kind of lose perspective. And if everyone Mm. disagrees with you, then it seeds all of this doubt and, and it's just messy. And there's a beautiful quote from, I think he's called Marcus Aurelius. He was like the founding Greek person who started the Stoicism movement. Yeah, that's it. Yep. And I'm saying these words, right? (laughs) You are, you're doing it all right. You're fine. (laughs) And I'm going to quote it wrong, but the gist of it is like, we only have one life and yours is already running out and you're giving responsibility for all of your joy and happiness to everyone else around you. And Mm. that's what I'm always trying to avoid whenever I'm online. That's such a great way to think about it. So tell me about your ADHD. It's actually quite a recent understanding for you, isn't it? Yes, completely, which is ironic because before I did what I do now, I worked in special needs as a speech therapist. <laughs> so it's often so true. Like I worked with loads of autistic kids before I knew I was autistic. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I thought I knew what ADHD was, but of mm. course I had that very stereotypical viewpoint of it that it's the naughty boy that climbs under the tables and disrupts the class and those people exist but also there's a whole different spectrum and especially for girls and women it can look really really different and for me it was a jigsaw piece puzzle that I I kind of found by accident I was Mm. struggling to feel productive struggling to want to do anything and was listening to this just whole range of different podcasts whatever came up under my search terms and one of them happened to be about ADHD and the more they described it the more I was thinking hang on this all sounds weirdly familiar went online did lots of reading eventually went for an assessment and yeah it it now makes perfect sense but yeah if I hadn't seen that other side of what the diagnosis can look like I think I'd still have no idea and what what were the key differences for you I mean it it's so interesting isn't it that as prof you know like I was a trained teacher I had done some training in neurodiversity although not very much and I think that's possibly part of the problem Mm. but and also like part of my degree was in psychology and you know I'd studied this stuff and my given understanding was so inaccurate from what from what I should have understood about it because actually we don't talk about the embodied state of being autistic or of having ADHD or of, you know, many, many other states of being that we're now all beginning to recognise much better. And I, you know, like I, if I couldn't recognise it in myself, I it, I came to realise that I was probably understanding it very poorly in other people too, because mm. I was, you know, seeing it as identifies. So what were the things for you that felt like it was intrinsic to your experience that you weren't expecting to be ADHD? So even just realising that there are two elements to ADHD, that you can have the hyperactivity and you can have, they call it the attention deficit, but it's not a deficit of attention. It's much more (laughs) about not being able to control and choose where you focus your attention. Mm. So I don't have hyperactivity. I'm the opposite. I'm very sleepy. I have a chronic illness aside from all of this. That means I'm naturally a very sleepy person. But I do have this difficulty choosing what my attention is focused on and hyper focus, which again is going to be a phrase that's very (laughs) familiar to anyone with autism diagnosis as well, 
that moment when something just captures you so wholeheartedly that you don't have a choice. You're going to spend six hours reading about it on Wikipedia or making like tiny dollhouse furniture or whatever the thing is. When it gets you, it really gets you. And I'd always had that as a pattern in my behavior, but I'd always seen it as kind of, I'm weird, there's something wrong with me. Mm. I noticed other people didn't tend to do it, but I thought it was like a personality flaw and not, you know, the wiring, the hard wiring of my brain. Also, the rejection sensitive dysphoria really immediately resonated with me. But also elements like I remember there's a doctor called William Dodson who does some really excellent public speaking on ADHD. And he talked about how generally when he sees patients with ADHD, he asks them, is there ever anything that you've tried to do in your life that you couldn't do? And he says, people Mm. with ADHD always say, no, no, as long as I could focus, as long as I could get myself to to try, (laughs) I can do anything. And I really like that. I was like, oh my God, that's me. Like, yeah. If I can make myself do it, if my brain's on board, there's nothing that, like, I fully believe I could build a house or win, like, (laughs) strictly come dancing or whatever. If I was obsessed, I'd do it. (laughs) It's really hard to talk about that balance between the things that, that this neurotype gives you and the things that it takes away. Like, I, I find it really hard to mediate that because, yeah, the, the ability to hyper-focus is everything to me. Like, it's given me everything I've ever achieved. It's completely yeah. intrinsic to my experience of what it is to exist, actually. Like, I can't imagine existing in another it way. It so boring without it. And yeah, I can't imagine it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But at the same time... I do experience like the problems that come with yes. it too, you know, and, and that will be if I want to hyper-focus, or, or not even hyper-focus, if I want to just focus on something. <laughs> yeah, just normal focus. Yeah, just a normal level yeah. of focus would be fine. I can't, I can't usher my focus towards something no. that I'm not interested in. And it's almost like physically painful to do yes. it. Like I, I feel like my eyes are switching themselves off as I'm trying to look at something, you know, yes. it's like really... And I, <laughs> it's really, you know, I, I find it very hard to talk about in public in terms of finding that balance because I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me. Like I don't ever want to come across as self-pitying, but it has caused me significant problems across yes. the course of my life. But at the same time, like I want to put forward how glorious this can be when there is something that your brain is like, yes, 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 yes. I will take in infinite amounts of stuff on this and we will we will do something with this. And it's so rewarding. The dopamine is like bing, 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 mm. bing, bing. It's heavenly. Yeah. And that's it. And and again, William Dodson talks about the ADHD brain and neurodiverse brain as being just on a completely different operating system. So like one's Windows, one's Macs, and they're not the same, but not then one's not necessarily better or worse than the other. I'm sorry, can you hear my cat doing giant <laughs> meows? Like she's dying. She's just, a door is closed, so she's very angry. <laughs> um, and I think it is that. It's that we're just different. The problem is that the whole of society has been constructed specifically with neurotypical people in mind. Mm. And so it becomes a disadvantage. It becomes a disability in certain situations because they've been crafted for one type of brain. They've been crafted for the Windows PC. And we're over here on a Mac going, like, I don't even open the file. Like, Yeah, sorry. (laughs) It's just corrupted. I'm sorry. I've not got got access to this today. I'm just going to go on Photoshop, guys. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) My internet's down. Sorry. (laughs) 
But it, but to actually like to talk about that sometimes really offends neurotypical people. Like even saying the word neurotypical really offends neurotypical people. And I, you know, I mean, to that I would say, well, you know, you you can't just have a world where you say one group of people's weird and you're not something. Like actually, mm. the truth is we're both a thing, and you know that's why we use the word neurotypical because otherwise it's like you're weird and I'm not and that's yes. sorry we, we're, not, we're not having that narrative anymore absolutely um, and I truly <laughs> believe it really is it is a spectrum that everyone is on somewhere or it's multiple spectrums it's it's really interesting because I I'm not so keen on that idea of a spectrum that's like ah. zero to autistic and everyone's a bit on it I think I think there are a distinct group of people but I think it's bigger than we used to think it was I think it's I actually yeah. think it's huge I agree. I was saying to a friend the other day, everyone I know who's got a little boy at the moment, so all my friends who've had boys, mm. it seems like nearly every single one of them is now receiving a diagnosis. Oh, wow. And I'm thinking, this isn't a change in the population. I think it's a change in our level of awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And how how inadequate school has been for a long time for so Absolutely. many people. Yeah. And actually, you know, maybe we will come to a point one day when people don't need diagnoses because the world will just meet the needs of loads of different people but right now it, it's necessary to to have something that gives you the right to the stuff that you basically need I mean that's all we're talking about here and forgiveness for me it was the huge overwhelming sense of forgiveness because my whole life I'd thought I was lazy I was undisciplined you know mm. you see the difference between your abilities and other people's and I think a lot of us, especially women, we tend to internalize that and assume that it's something we need to work harder on. We need to buy more self-help books. We yeah. need, you know, we need to just buy more planners and then we'll fix it. And I did oh all God, the right that things. That was definitely me. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the diagnostic criteria on the list I read of things for women. It was like, you're always buying new planners or new apps that promise to get you organized <laughs> and you've just got hundreds of them and you're still not organized. Mm. And yeah, because it's not that we don't want to. We have the same wishes. We see other people. I, I always say like Hermione Granger. I would love to be Hermione <laughs> Granger with her. Like she's read all the books in advance. She's done all the homework in advance. Yeah. But that's just not what I was given. That's not the brain I was given. Mm. And the brain I was given is amazing. I'm so lucky it does amazing things. And so being able to stop resenting myself for the things it couldn't do, it was just mm. like this huge weight off my shoulders and also like freed up an awful lot of energy because you stop trying to run against the tide. And what has that, because you've talked really openly about depression quite often in the yeah. past as well. Has that diagnosis had an impact on that part of your brain as well? Or do you think, I mean, I, you know, I, I always wondered that, that being neurodivergent and growing up neurodivergent had kind of fixed a pattern of depressive behaviour in me yeah. that I couldn't really escape. But I, I have found it easier to escape now than I certainly used to. And is that because you are choosing the right the right ways now for yourself? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't think it's. I, I'd love to say it's about you know because I've completely accepted myself and I you know I'd love to I'd love to <laughs> claim that one. but it, it is not true. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> what it means is that I'm me meeting my needs further down the line before yes. they become urgent now, and that's the huge change for me that I'm you know, I'm getting the solitude that I need, which is just completely vital to me. And I'm, you know, taking walks and I, you know, yada, yada, yada. I'm doing all of those things that I need without waiting to be forced to do it by making myself sick or very, very depressed. Yes. yes. I mean, it's been tricky for me to really 
make that distinction, I suppose, because my diagnosis came just before the very first lockdown. (laughs) And like a lot of people, I've struggled with my mental health during lockdown Mm. after lockdown after lockdown. So I feel like I don't really know myself out in the wild now with this information. I haven't had, (laughs) haven't had chance to run free with it, but I did have a very, I had like a few months, I think it was about two or three months. And the friend to me then was like, you're like Sarah 2.0, because I was just so full of this Mm. newfound enthusiasm and, and this fresh understanding of like, oh, I can make it work for me. I don't have to try and make it work the way it works for everybody else. And yeah, yeah, like that happens in every area of your life. It's not just about work or it's not just about study. It's even simple things like washing the dishes. Like, oh, if I put a podcast on, I'm going to be much more excited about washing the dishes because I want to listen to the next episode tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. It's like little hacks that you need to give yourself permission for. And I don't think a diagnosis is necessary for that at all, but it's a helpful way in. Yeah. I mean, I like to talk about identification now instead, because I I do think we can reach like a post-medicalized world on this, actually, that we, you know, for some people will need professional support, but actually for loads of people, that identification is the thing that changes everything. It, it, you don't even need more than that. You just need an understanding and good information to to get you to the place that you you need to be. Yes. I for me, and I I don't know. I I think we just kind of in lots of ways need to find ways to crack it open to people who because let's face it, loads of us that are diagnosed ended up going for private diagnoses because we couldn't yeah. have ever got them through the NHS or no. you know and friends in the states. I know you know find it even harder to access. And so actually, like, how do we let people recognise what they need to do to live comfortably and happily? Right, because none of these things are are difficult to access in terms of, like, applying them to your own life. It's not like we're talking, I mean, with ADHD, there are prescription drugs. Um, And that's generally the advice I give to people is, they say, should I go for a diagnosis? I say, only you only need to do it if you want medication if, you th- mm. if you're open to trying it because a lot of people are very anti-stimulant medication kind yeah. of with their own kind of before they go down that path so if you if you know you're never going to want to try that you probably don't need to spend the money because everything else is available it's out there and all you kind of need to do is give yourself permission to need it or to mm. try it and all of yeah. those strategies and there's so much overlap between different neurodivergent conditions conditions is that the word we would use probably oh, not. The, honestly the language is so hard I you know like everything everything is difficult don't worry about it <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not meaning to offend anyone but yeah different <laughs> labels let's say yeah you know you need to just go out there and kind of find that information but it's a shame that we weren't given it a long mm. long time ago and parents aren't giving it for their children who then no. grow up and don't fit into the perfect square shape of mold that they've been told they should. And they think it's their fault or they think it's their child's fault. And all of that damage starts so young. Mm. We're still in a very complicated place with it. And in lots of ways, I think the way that we school children now and the way that their social life operates is making life much more complicated than it once did. And it's it's kind of bringing these things to the fore you know it, it, education has become so one size fits all compared to yeah. even how it was when I was a child actually I had a lot more scope to behave in different ways at school than than my son does quite often now you know yeah and as a teacher you'll know you'll know firsthand my husband was a teacher as well um and in fact we ended up we put our daughter into sort of a Steiner homeschool 
mm. kind of sort of hodgepodge situation. <laughs> um, because I just couldn't bear to see her squashed mm. by the sausage factory in our village that wants to churn out identical yeah. good little workers. And that's not to say at all that the teachers out there are not doing an amazing job because they really are. There are some phenomenal teachers. Yeah. But I know the pressures that they're under and it's all about data. It's all about constantly striving for progress and there's no room for individualism mm. and there's no room for my little girl who feels the whole world at an 11. And, yeah, you know, a yeah. teacher only has to talk to her without a smile and she's like, I think I'm being shouted at. And, you know, <laughs> oh. she she finds that really difficult. So mm. if there's an option for me to give her something that's more nurturing, that's more flexible, I'm really grateful to be able to take it. Yeah, there's lots of options out there. That's a good thing. Thank goodness for options. Yeah. I want to talk to you about animals because they seem to be <laughs> such a big part of your life. And I like it's it's interesting to me because I it seems like it's a very neurodivergent thing to have a strong connection with animals. But you have some waifs and strays in your life, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I really do. I saw something online recently, actually, that said um, it's common for people with trauma or childhood trauma to want to look after animals. And I don't know if that's part of it. Mm. But yeah. So who have we got at the moment? Let me look. We've got four <laughs> cats. <laughs> All rescues from various places. We have three parrots. We have a cockerel. We thought she was a hen. He is not a hen. So he's going to have to find um, somewhere away from houses to live. And we have a dog and a jackdaw, a tame jackdaw. That... Oh, I just, I want to hear all about the tame jackdaw in particular, please. He is fascinating. He's far <laughs> too clever for his own good. We've called him baddie because everything he does is like with <laughs> naughtiness in mind. You can see him look at you and think, oh. So he has a bell above his food bowl and... If he doesn't like his food or he's, he's made his water messy, he just rings the bell incessantly for service. So that Really? Oh, <laughs> yes. my God. <laughs> he just designed that system himself and it's, <laughs> he does it loudly. You cannot ignore this. And he was a rescue. It was like through Facebook. Someone tagged me and said I could take him. And I think he was. So what, he was, he was kind of found without a mother or. He was found in the grounds of a primary school and he was flying onto the children's shoulders. And he oh, was wow. very, very weak and he's, he's not really able to fly. So what we think happened is someone probably hand raised him mm. and then either got bored or couldn't uh, carry okay. on looking after him and probably quite innocently thought, oh, I'll just let him go. But he can't survive in the wild because he doesn't recognize wild food as food. Okay, He's got a very, yeah. very limited diet that he'll eat. I'm trying to, trying to broaden that, but he just throws it on the floor. <laughs> so he's not able to kind of live with his own kind. So at the moment... There's a lot of bird flu around in the UK, so I can't send him to a sanctuary or anything. So he's living with us and we are best buddies. He likes to sit <laughs> on my shoulder. He likes to steal keys. The window keys are a favourite. <laughs> <laughs> and he makes the most unlikely noise. It's kind of like a chimp chattering. And actually, they say that that whole family of corvids, those kind of crows, jackdaws, yeah. magpies, are about as Incredibly clever as Incredibly intelligent. So, right. Oh, really? Oh, that I didn't realise they were that intelligent. That's amazing. Yeah. And so it's a big responsibility. Like a, it's like having a, a young child. You don't want to keep them in a cage. You've got to get them out and entertain them. So. Oh my goodness. He's a lot of fun. <laughs> and how's the duckling? The ducklings have gone to new homes. So it's two this say, summer. Of course, the duckling is no longer going to be a duckling either, are they? They're <laughs> going to be grown up ducks now. Massive. <laughs> so luckily, because of all this school, we've got these like this community of equally slightly 
like eccentric people and um they have birds so the ducks have gone to two different people there and have lovely <laughs> beautiful idyllic lives and we so we drive around the countryside near where we live and we're like look there's there's cheap there's lucy we're always looking out for our little rescue birds and hopefully the cockerel has got home coming up in the village so we'll be able to visit him too <laughs> I love that. You know, well, hopefully the cockerel's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's going to be, I mean, he's going to be okay because I'm not letting, he's my baby, but yeah, I'm looking for, I'm looking for the right, the right setting for him. It's got to be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, have you always had animals? Is, is that something you've grown up with or is this a, a, a thing that you've picked up as you've got older? Uh, yeah, we only had a cat when I was younger so I guess maybe that's the cat thing not enough animals <laughs> that was the problem when you were not growing enough up. animals <laughs> I'm just someone who's always had so much love I don't know where to put it all <laughs> and I think it's that thing of like I can do this I can I can see a baby bird that's dying that no one knows what to do with and I can figure it out and I can you know pay the attention and learn how to to tube feed them or whatever they need and I can get them through it mm. and obviously I'm no vet Let's like let's be really clear. But if if I can't see something suffering and not do my very best to help, it's just an instinct within me. And I get such a lot out of it in return. It's really rewarding. It's, it brings me so much joy. And also these relationships, I think there's something so fascinating about being able to have a relationship with a completely different species that has zero overlap in their conception of the world and their language in anything. And yet you know each other. Like they'll come and run towards you when they see you and you have a shared understanding of when they do that, it means they want this. And I, I've never stopped finding that magical. It seems like the rest of the world just just knows about that and thinks it's fine. But I think it's magic. <laughs> I love that. I, I absolutely share your sense about that, that the rest of the world, like how can they ignore this amazing yeah. Stuff that's happening out there. <laughs> it's like if I, there's a rainbow, I'm like jumping yes. up in meetings going, oh my gosh, there's a rainbow and everyone else is <laughs> being very adult about the situation. <laughs> I don't know how you can be adult about a rainbow. When I used to teach, there used to be squirrels that used to run past my window and I every time I'd be like, look, a squirrel, like literally look, a squirrel. And my students after a while were like, you know, no one else does this. <laughs> you, know, you know, they tell us off if we do that. And it's like, but there's a squirrel. <laughs> Nature, look. Yeah, completely. I, I'm on board with that. And I think we're right, quite frankly. Everyone needs to come to our school of thought. Yeah, because the world is full of all these little moments of magic and fascination that I don't want to learn to ignore. Like that, no. if that's what becoming a proper adult is, then I really, really don't want it because... It just feels like a big shutting down was required before I before I gave up full time work and before I really really committed to making my own time and space to work in the way that I needed to and yeah. you know that includes to make make a living as I needed to because that has always been a growing con you know going concern for me that's not something that I can can ever avoid having to do like I just felt like I was constantly being squashed really yes. into a, a shape that didn't fit and I and was having to turn off aspects of my brain that were present and that wanted that were curious and excited and happy like and all of those had to go in order to do more meetings <laughs> more meetings and paperwork and it's so invalidating to have your brain and your heart go we love this this is amazing it lights mm. us up and have to go no stop that we're wrong we cannot like this like 
If you don't even allow yourself to be who you are, how can you ever live to your full potential in the world or even just find your full happiness in the world? Mm. I'm just taking a pause to let you know about my very exciting new Patreon feed, If you love the wintering sessions and would like to help it grow, you can now become a patron. Subscribers will get an exclusive monthly podcast in which I talk about the books, culture and the news that are currently inspiring me. You'll also get the chance to submit questions to my guests in advance of recordings and the answers will go into a special extended edition of the podcast that only patrons receive and a day early too. Plus, you'll get discounts and early booking links to my courses and events, and your podcast will always be ad-free. If this sounds like your kind of thing, I have a special offer. The first 30 patrons will be able to join at a discounted rate of $3 a month for life. So do get in early and help to build the community from the foundations. Go to patreon.com forward slash Catherine May or follow the link in my bio to subscribe. And please don't worry if this isn't for you. The regular version of the wintering sessions will still be free and I really appreciate your listens. Now, back to the show. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I like I often talk about this and I, you know, talk in my work a lot about the need to rest and the need to step back from commitment sometimes. And I I find that I quite often and I imagine you get the same pushback, which is why I want to ask you about it. (laughs) Like quite often people say, well, isn't that a privilege to do that? Like, how can you, you know, like not everyone can rest when they're sick and not everybody can go and go out and make the life that they want to or, or need to like the need doesn't matter like you have to you have to live the life that other people tell you to live because that's the only way you can survive I I wonder I'd love to know your response for that because I respond to that all the time <laughs> yeah I mean I, I see the point absolutely mm. and we're all on this huge kind of range of this aren't we like we're very privileged already because we live in a first world country mm. because we're white because we have access to certain things so of course we have opportunities that not everybody in the world gets but everyone should Right, yeah. Like surely we yeah. can agree that these are necessary things that everyone should. And I don't see how we're going to change it unless some people start trying and, and doing it and living that way. And also mm. like 
it doesn't really feel like that much of a privilege. I know my friend Jen Carrington, she has a really well-balanced work time and she has really well-regulated weeks off. And I was telling someone about that once and they were like, oh God, I wish I could do that. Sounds amazing. And I was thinking, you just have no idea. She's lying in bed in pain. She would give anything to be able to get up and go and work a nine to five job on those days Mm. but her body is unable to and I like if I was not able to run my business from my bed the way I do I would probably have to be claiming an unemployment allowance now like I don't think I could work a conventional job physically emotionally mentally I I just don't think I could be doing that so yeah it's it's and and actually I mean like I before I got my autism diagnosis, I was in this pattern of going back into like, I'm, you know, using big scare quotes here, proper job every few Mm. years and staying in it for like, I mean, two and a half years seemed to be my limit before I'd get physically sick and wouldn't be able to go into work. And, you know, like it's not, it's never been a question of like, oh, I don't really fancy doing this. No. Although actually like now I've finally broken that pattern and I've really thought hard about how I make my living without that pattern. I do think I don't fancy doing that. Yes. So that, I, and that is amazing, isn't it? To have yeah. That yeah. <laughs> like, that's fine. But I was always like willingly going back into that because I wanted to, you know, earn a better living. I want to take responsibility for my own stuff. You know, all, all of that stuff that people don't think that people like me want to do. I definitely wanted to do it. But I always got to the point where I physically, like absolutely physically couldn't anymore. And I always worked to that point and then dropped out, you know, yeah. and that was damaging psychologically as well as physically. It's had yes. some really long-term physical impacts but it was never ever about choice actually it was always about the world kind of spitting me out really yeah and I think this is a huge issue that we're really bad at accepting people's kind of testimonial of their experience Mm. and especially when it comes to anything that goes against like the industrial protestant work ethic of yeah you get up you work nine to five you don't have any human needs during those hours and anything else is morally corrupt. Mm. Um, I saw on Reddit just this week, someone posted in a doctor's forum where you can ask advice from qualified medical doctors and said she'd been diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm. And the top answer was a general practitioner from the US telling her to get therapy because it was in her head. Like, how are we still there? I don't know. Where we, we don't, and it is especially women, it's especially people with mood disorders, especially people who are neurodivergent, mm. who get this label of avoidance or yeah. like hysteria or laziness. And we internalize those labels. I have believed I was lazy for such a long time. I still struggle with it now when I need to rest, mm-hmm. but I know that my family needs me or that there's work I could be doing or that there's cleaning that needs doing. It's really, really difficult to let go of that. So when we get it from people in authority, whether it's teachers, managers, you know, newspapers or doctors, yeah, it's, it's only the really, really resilient who can go, no, that isn't who I am. Yeah. And yeah. find a different way. Yeah. And I and I think also like we we talk a lot about what goes wrong with people, but if we don't at the same time pick apart what's wrong with work, 
then we're only telling half the story, you know, and like actually jobs today are so different to what they used to be. I mean, for a start, it used to be predicated on one part of a, you know, married couple working and somebody was at home doing all of the massive work that has not gone away in that time, but is still being done by, Mm. you know, two people scrabbling around after full-time work hours. And then there's the issue that like a whole massive chunk of our jobs don't pay for basic living standards that we once would have expected, that our parents would have definitely expected, you know, like having a house, (laughs) for example. Um, Or being able to have childcare. Yeah. Like all of those things are not possible on most wages now, which is extraordinary, even though both members of the, you know, couple are working. Yeah. And then there's the fact that in kind of middle class jobs that maybe, you know, do allow you to actually live somewhere, shock horror, people don't seem to be able to walk away from them at the end of the working day. And they're constantly getting emails on their phone and they're expected to be checking in and expected to be working much longer hours. And it's, it just seems to me that there's an awful lot of things that are going wrong with what we consider to be normal work that's making it completely unmanageable for what increasingly looks like the vast majority of people to me. Yeah, yeah. We've created a system that is hyper-competitive, hyper-capitalist, mm. hyper-productive. And then when people can't function in that way because we are animals and we were not designed to function in that way... <laughs> the best we can do is medicate them so that they don't notice it as much. Yes. <laughs> That's yeah. our solution. Yeah. We don't make any systematic changes. We don't go, oh, this this seems to be creating like mood disorders on an epic scale mm. that we've never seen before. Maybe we should change it. We just go, well, drug them so they can keep working and making money for the billionaires. <laughs> and scold them if they don't keep working. Yeah, exactly. Let's shame <laughs> them into forcing themselves yes. and ignoring their own bodies. Yeah. I mean, what do you say when you're kind of levied with that question of privilege? I I sometimes I get increasingly outraged about it. Like, where is your radicalism, whoever it is that's asking me that question? Like, you know, they ask it like it's the most right on thing, right on question to ask. And I'm I think it's the least right on question to ask. It's Mm. like, stop accepting this. Like, I'm not saying that everyone can afford to walk out of their job tomorrow and take up some stupid fluffy career I'm saying that people are working themselves to the point of exhaustion and they need urgently to find a different way to do that and that we need to collectively make a world in which that is possible and to start refusing the current state of affairs that's breaking so many people and you know so many people that we need to stay in necessary jobs like we need teachers to be able to stay in their jobs rather than not being able to cope with their workload we need nurses we need midwives we need doctors we need like what if the uh, person whose brain comes up with the ultimate cure for cancer it's someone with a chronic illness who can only work an hour or two a day yeah but right now we're not letting them into any medical fields so we're not going to benefit from that and that's I I think about that all the time all the people who are being wasted all of the human amazingness Mm. that doesn't get to participate and I feel so grateful that I still am able to because of my business like I love paying my taxes I get so excited because (laughs) I'm contributing and yet yeah people will tell you that you're part of the problem or that your Mm. message is damaging or unrealistic and I just think I never promised you I was going to be realistic (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but I, but like, it just seems that, that what the expectation at the moment is completely unrealistic. And I, you know, like everyone I know who is trying to work what those people will consider a proper job are doing it for, you know, in effect, less money every year with longer yeah. hours and are completely burned out. And like, what happens when the last nurse drops? You know, yeah. what happens when te- when every teacher realises that they can do something, you know, that earns the same money for less stress and, and you know, less prospect of complete burnout? I mean, I, I don't think it's realistic what we're doing at the moment. I think we have our head in the sand. And I think you know, that work, working towards a new way to do it is, yes, going to be a, str- a slow process. But God, we have to start thinking about it. And everyone gets to do that. And I think the movement is brewing. There's mm. um, a Reddit, a subreddit on Reddit called Anti-Work. And <laughs> when I first joined it, it was very small and much maligned. Everyone thought it was just full of lazy people, but it's grown exponentially it is huge now i have to say it's mostly americans because americans have it even worse oh my god they, they hardly get sorry hello american friends you don't get much holiday you guys we get a lot more holiday than you we get 28 <laughs> days don't we pretty much with bank holidays yeah 25 to 30 normally i think is the yeah between those two yeah and we get maternity leave and we get sickness leave <gasps> yeah when i mean you- like working without maternity leave just shocks me and yeah so and many, healthcare, so many you have to me. work in order to have healthcare because it's tied to yeah. your employment. So I think America is going to be the tipping point maybe first because yeah. it is not sustainable. And there are people who are dying because they can't work and yeah. so they can't have medical care. And you know, I really fundamentally believe that that has to change and it has to change soon. Mm, I completely agree. And then hopefully the rest of us can sort of carry on that wave because COVID has kind of sped this up, I think, as well. I I always was such a proponent. After I left my NHS job and started working from home, I was really like, why are more businesses not doing this? Like, there's so many jobs I've done in the past that I could have done from home or partially from home home with an internet connection. And it was very much like, oh, you're dreaming, Sarah, that's never going to happen. And then along (laughs) comes COVID. And lots of businesses are now realizing that it's not worth it paying for an office and squashing everybody in together and making them waste hours on pointless commutes and live within a certain radius of that building just because it's what we've always done for Mm -hmm. no other reason than that. Well, and also for me, like it's just going, going back to how we used to operate, which is like people didn't used to commute as far as they do now. And actually, we're now rejecting that commute that we've all been undertaking, you know, like driving in the car for an hour each way every day, which is, you know, definitely what my husband was doing before the pandemic. And that became normal, didn't it? Like, I remember when my commute went over an hour, everyone was like, well, if you lived in London, you'd commute (laughs) like double that. And that sort of made me feel better. I was like, oh, I've got it (laughs) good. Yeah. Whereas instead of going, well, maybe that's a problem. (laughs) Maybe that's also a problem. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When, when you actually start to name the things that we've been doing and to really think about what that means. I mean, the other thing I think to mention is the kind of push towards constant growth. Like you're supposed to constantly be earning more every year and getting promoted and you know taking working on yourself like evolving and and like the primary school targets right progress every year yeah Yeah. and that kind of makes me sad actually an awful lot that's a whole other podcast worth of content yeah Yeah. I you know I do I think the thing that that sticks in my mind is like where are the good 
craft-based jobs that people used to go into very happily. You know, where's the learning to be the village blacksmith? I mean, you know, like I, I know that's a really stupid example, but, you know, learning a skill that you're, that you can reach its full extent and then just carry on doing it because you enjoy it and it's valuable and it makes you enough money to survive. Like all of those things together just don't, seem to come anymore. And so you have to, I don't know, like become a manager in some awful business that rides your ass around till you're 60 and then doesn't even buy you a present when you leave. Yeah, yeah. A book token. A or book you token. become I'd love that. Yeah. As long as it was worth, you know, enough. I don't want a carriage clock. I want a book token. <laughs> or you become one of those people, I suppose, who I work with, which is somebody with a passion for creative work or human-centered work but then you also have to be a social media manager an email Mm. replier a marketer Mm. a photographer you have to do all of that other work as well there is no just focusing on your craft yeah well there's very little of it there's a friend of ours who's a joiner who lives in our village and he's probably a decade or two older than us and he's exactly what you describe. He he went straight from school to like learn on the job. He's spent his whole life doing it. And he is amazing at his craft. He's obsessed with wood. He'll just bring us bits of trees. He's like, smell this. Oh, it's in that. season. And he's oh. just so excited by wood. And now he's at that point in his career where he'll say no. Like there's certain jobs where he's like, no, you, it doesn't matter how much you pay me. I don't want to do it. So I don't need mm. to do it. And He's built him. that life for himself, but yeah, I he is so. I keep telling him he needs his own podcast. He is a talker, but um, <laughs> I I wonder, yeah, where are, where is that next generation of those people? Because they're getting harder and harder to find. They should definitely have us running the world, Sarah. We do. I mean, we we've got a solid plan. The only thing is, we're going to need a lot of naps. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there will need to be naps, and also like for about. Four or five months a year, I won't want to talk to anyone, which is a bit problematic for running a country. Yeah. I'm so sorry about that. I mean, if we can just coordinate those months, but if we both disappear yes, at the same time, there's going to be a lot of unanswered emails and messages. <laughs> I don't know, though. I think the world would learn to just get on with it and wouldn't worry. I, you know, I think it's fine. Do you know what this is reminding me of, though? Over over Christmas, hyperfocus. I read the Unabomber's manifest. What? <laughs> This got dark really suddenly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry, but he was, I mean, he was a murderer and he was insane. Let's be clear. But he was very anti the way industrialization has changed the pace of human living. Yeah. And he was also a very intelligent Harvard graduate. He went to Harvard at like 16. And (laughs) yeah, I don't know that. Sorry, I'm trying not to giggle here because I I really hope you're going to clear this up for us. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we need to bomb. No, (laughs) no. No bombing. (laughs) I think it's a struggle that, you know, people all across the world have been identifying for a long time, but it's coming to boiling point. It really feels like that. Yeah. And yeah, the solution is not terrorism. No. But there needs to be a solution. (laughs) And I hope it happens within our lifetime that something shifts. Yeah. Because people can't carry on like this. We're going to destroy ourselves. No, I I do. I I feel like there's a shift happening and I think it's going to take us a while to wind back from it. But you know, I think I can see the beginnings of people just wanting to live a very different kind of a life and wanting that for their kids and not necessarily thinking, oh, you know, I need to make sure my kid is in a profession so that they can get onto that track. And instead thinking like, how can I 
teach the next generation to make a life for themselves. The whole concept of like slow living, the slow living movement that kind mm. of ties us back around to Instagram, you know, it's it's easily criticized. People like to kind of talk about it as being very, yeah, very pretentious or kind of luxury like poverty porn like pretending you have to sweep up and you don't have a hoover but <laughs> is that what it's all about <laughs> apparently well I think it can come across that way which I, I can understand you know like very wealthy people you know yeah. talking yeah, about yeah. their broom is maybe but what I think it really starts with is this desire for slowness and this desire mm. to be connected to just everyday life and not have to rush around, not have to be on that treadmill. And I think when there's a new movement starting, when there's a change happening, this is what happens. You see it in all different places. It's kind of like a zeitgeist. Lots of people are conceiving of it on different levels and eventually they kind of all come together and you've got the snowball that starts rolling. Yeah. And it's. I think it. there's a desire for contact with things that feel real again, you know, like materials yes. that feel... Yes natural like natural is such a loaded word but I you know like a few years ago it occurred to me that most of the things that I used every day in my life I wouldn't have a chance of making myself you know like how would you even begin to make a computer yeah you know like there's no there's no way of making it there's no way of mending it and and then I kind of thought well hang on like how would I even make a dustpan and brush you know it's my Mm. mine is made of plastic and the bristles are plastic and like We've come so far in terms of the materials we use. And I think part of that slow living movement is about moving back towards yes. physical contact with materials that we understand. You know, yes. that we... Which is why it seems to have such an aesthetic. Mm. But I don't think it's necessarily aesthetic driven. I think you're right. It's much more about tactile. Like for me, it's so much about story. A handmade ceramic cup has humanness in it. Yeah. That a, like that a perfect shiny IKEA one just doesn't. Mm, and mm. like the wood in our house is weathered and it's worn by the places that we walk and the places that we don't are still pristine and shiny. And that's the story of living. Yeah. I get such a lot from that. And at the moment, as you know, we're we're looking for a house in France. I want to buy, you know, old dilapidated cottage and have some fun doing it up. And every day is a disappointment when I look online and see an amazing house, with beautiful pastel shutters, and it's slightly tumbled down. And inside is like a pristine box of shiny red kitchens and every single trace of natural materials has been stripped out right. or boxed in. And for me, I'm just like, what is this house has been here for like 300 years. Mm. I want its story. I want to to see that. I want to see the person who laid those bricks and found the perfect combination for the dry stone wall, whatever it is, that <laughs> human connection is something that we've all always needed, like as a, as a species. And I think it's harder and harder to kind of get it. Mm. That's such a lovely place for this conversation to end. Like we've... Oh, we've solved the world's problems, but we've come we back to our desire for connection and like connection between people we talk about a lot. But I think there's something to be said about connection between us and the materials that surround us and the, the nature. Yeah. Yeah. And how all of those things link together and how we want to get back to this embodied sense of living in a world that we made or that was made by people in a way that we could vaguely understand at least. And yeah, there's there's some magic there that we're all looking for, I think. 
I absolutely agree. And hopefully it's resonating with other people and maybe they've got other takes that they can kind of add to our conception of it. Because it needs, mm. it's not even got a name, has it? This this feeling we have. No, it's no, it has so a, strong. A kind of yearning towards things getting more basic again and, a, and to kind of push back the tide of stuff that that comes into our homes you know like to yeah. to get back to to kind of having fewer things that we treasure more that and that we that we physically understand that our hands understand mm. and that have a finite lifespan like mm. not the plastic thing that will live forever but the wicker basket that the more you use it the more it degrades and eventually it's time to make or find a new one yeah and that that doesn't have any impact when it does degrade as well. I mean, no. the end of a wicker basket is is a gentle end as opposed to the plastic Tupperware that you keep, even though it's scratched and awful and bent out of shape. And, and you've you lost know that, all the lids. Yeah, you've lost every single damn lid. And where do the lids go? <laughs> oh, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been really nourishing. I think I needed to have that today. I think I needed like Me that too. sense of contact. And I hope that yeah, your listeners can carry it on with us. I'd really love to hear what they have to say on it too. Yeah, that would be really, really interesting to hear what everyone's where everyone is with this, I think. I'm I'm fascinated by that at the moment, definitely. So I, I wish you very good things in twenty twenty two and I hope you've got some exciting projects on the way. Is it is it okay to hope that? Yeah, I think we're allowed, aren't we? I likewise <laughs> to you as well. I think we're all a bit burned by 2021. <laughs> yeah. Are we allowed to plan suck, anymore? That's all. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you planning like alongside your French house? Have you got some have you got some cool things on the on the way? Yeah, in my business I am making this kind of very grown-up shift to being more of a CEO and less mm. of like the founder. So kind of getting a little bit more distance and delegating more all of the mm-hmm. things I do not find very natural but it <laughs> means that it frees me up so much more to do the work I really love so I'm taking on some more one-to-one clients which I haven't done for such a long time because I've been far too busy with classes and things mm. um, and I'm hoping to write my next book this year so Ooh. I'm kind of working on the proposal for that at the moment and finding out what it's going to be and kind of that process of just feeling it out amazing and when I get my French house, we should do something there. We'll do a writing retreat or something amazing. Ooh, that sounds very lovely. <laughs> With just, lots of yeah. notes. I just, I just want to come to the French house, actually. I don't want to work yeah. there. I just want we'll to just look, drink. Yeah, down. you're right. We'll just drink rosé in the garden. That's <laughs> yeah. what we'll do. <laughs> that will be plenty. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and cheese. <laughs> and cheese. Yeah, definitely loads of cheese. Oh, Sarah, thank you. And um, I will, I will make sure all of your contacts and links are in in the bio here so that people can track you down if they don't already know you which I suspect they probably do um but for the very few people who haven't come across your world then um they will they will enjoy discovering you thank you and thank you so much for letting me ramble on today hopefully we've we've (laughs) made some sense along the way I'm just walking over to stick my head under the harbour so you can hear it too. Lovely big thunder in here. I love sticking my head in there. Basically underneath the concrete construction that makes up the quay of the harbour, there's a big hollow space 
it's not like under the boardwalk, you know, it's like concrete pillars, <laughs> rusty ones. But it makes the most fantastic sound as all the water sloshes about in there and echoes. When there's no water in there, me and Bert like to come along and stick our heads in and shout echo. Simple things please me, what can I say? <laughs> but I thought you might enjoy the sound too. The dog is going wild this morning. She's running around in figures of eights on the beach and kind of occasionally banging into me. She's a sheep herding breed from Lesvos, the island of Greece. And she does try to herd you sometimes, particularly if there's small children about, she'll try to herd them. I think she's herding me today. I think I spent too long talking to you guys and she's fed up of me. I hope you got a lot out of that conversation. I felt like we could have talked on and on and if they'd have let us, we could have just solved all the world's problems, really. Someone has to, right? But it's just such a good message, really, to think about how you can go out and be yourself and, oh God, it just sounds so lame when I say it. She says it so much better. But that you're allowed to go out and be you rather than something fixed. The world is changing and we're all part of remaking it. And I think that's just so exciting. And we don't have to follow the paths and patterns that we once had to follow. That's all going. I also think she's a real comfort for people with chronic illness, you know. There's so many of us out there who struggle with very different energy levels on different days and have to measure out our spoons. And I hope that that offers a little bit of sucker for anyone that feels that they can't get enough done. So a nice, comforting podcast today. We all deserve it. Right, I'm going to walk home now. Even the harbour's busy because the tide's high. The fishermen are drawing their nets in. It's easy to forget that Worcesterbull's a working harbour. It's always seen as like this kind of fancy town, but there's a very real core to it. And from this part of the beach, I can see the gravel works as well, which a lot of people think is ugly, but which I think is a crucial part of our little town. It shows that it's a real place and not a theme park, you know, of a Victorian fishing town. I'm watching the diggers go around it at the moment, which again, very cool for small children, trust me. Okay, well, thanks for listening. Thanks particularly to my patrons who helped to fund this. And, you know, if you love the podcast and would like some extras and would like to help, please have a look at patreon.com forward slash Catherine May. It's really appreciated and necessary. <laughs> it's meaning that we're carrying on this season way longer than we would have done before. So it's just such a brilliant effect. Thank you to Sarah Tasker. Thank you to Buddy Peace, my producer. Thank you to Fraggle the Dog. Thank you to Megan Hutchins, my assistant on all things. And thank you for listening. I hope you have a beautiful week with plenty of spring sunshine. See you soon.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.